Louie, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Rose? Where we're going, we don't need Rose. No. I am your father. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. You're listening to After the Ending, the only film podcast where we tell you what happens after the ending of your favorite films. And now, here are your hosts, Mike Spring and Phil Edwards. Hello and welcome to After the Ending. I'm Mike Spring. And I'm Phil Edwards. And Phil, I was going to lead us off with a quote from Role Models, but then I realized there isn't a single quote from Role Models that I can put into our episode that won't change us from being PG-13 rated to being R-rated. So no quotes from Role Models. Yeah, there's quite a bit of uh, bad language in that film. And I must admit, when I was doing my After the Ending for it, I had to. Uh, I decided to uh, leave out lots of words that I was going to put in. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> so, but you might have to beep some out if any slip in. That's quite all right. <laughs> I, I can handle that. Yeah, but that's one of the films we're doing for the after the ending, and the other one is Race to Witch Mountain. Yeah, uh, yeah. Two films from the uh, the mid two thousands. Yep. Or the mid noughties however you want mid- to put it. But uh, <laughs> it's a naughty episode. It is a naughty it's, episode. It's <laughs> role models, and <laughs> <isn't> it. <laughs> but, but one of the reasons why is because Paul Rudd is currently in Ant Man and the Wasp, the new Marvel yes. Studios movie, and Dwayne Johnson's in everything. <laughs> right. But I think also where uh, Rampage is uh, just coming out on Blu-ray and DVD. And skyscraper. As, oh, and skyscraper as, as we're recording this, this yeah. is yeah, skyscraper should be opening in just a couple of days. So kind yes. of a themed. A mildly themed episode, I yeah. guess you could say. But I think if we had Dwayne Johnson, a Dwayne Johnson film in any episode, we could probably relate it to something being released. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's definitely prolific. He's a very yeah. busy person. And he just seems like a damn fine, nice chap as well. Yes, yes, agreed. I'm a big fan of his. Uh, I do now, though, just now having hearing you say that, I do kind of really want to see a movie with Dwayne Johnson and Paul Rudd. Oh, that would be... Have they not been in anything together? No, they haven't. Not, not that I can think of. No, I think oh, that'd be a lot of fun, wouldn't it? They'd be they'd be amazing because they're both uh, charisma machines. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And both look a lot younger than their actual age. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yes, I didn't know that Paul Rudd was actually seventy-two. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. clean he, living, man. He does it well. Yeah. He does. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, I'm just looking up his actual age because it's going to depress me. Uh, <laughs> he's forty-nine years old. Is he forty-nine? Really? Forty-nine. Oh, wow. yes. Born on the sixth of April, nineteen sixty-nine. Holy wow. crap. Yeah. Hey, at least you're still younger than him, though. Yeah, I'm going to be 45 So that should make you year. feel better. Yeah, but I look at myself in the mirror. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's true, yeah. Yeah, I look yeah. I look like I'm past 50 in the mirror. <laughs> Damn you, Paul Rudd. Listen, if you, shave that, if you shave that beard, you would look 10 years younger instantly. So I'd look 49. <laughs> <laughs> You'd look the same age as Paul Rudd. Yeah, I'm doing it. No. <laughs> All right, and Phil, and what, what year are we talking about in our 100 Years of Hollywood this episode? We are doing our top 10 films of 2007, which we are both sure we have not done before, even though while doing our lists, <laughs> we both emailed each other going, have we done this year before? Yeah, I'm going to just put out a caveat right now that if anybody can find proof that we've done 2007, I will take it because I'm convinced we've done it already, but neither one of us can actually find evidence that we've done 2007. But I feel like I've talked about every movie on my list multiple times, almost in this order. So it'll be an interesting top 10, to say the least. Yeah, it could well be. We've done them. I've mentioned lots of the films in the various uh, mini-episode top five things we've done in the past. But Right, uh, right. Yeah, so if you've heard these before, we apologize, but sometimes 
You've just got to go with the flow. Well, according to Wikipedia, which I found this surprising, the, the, the Wikipedia entry for 2007 says that 2007 is often considered the best year for film so far in the 2000s, which I found a little surprising. Hmm. But if that's the case, then we're just going to we're going to just market it as it's such a good year. We felt we needed to do it twice because it's the greatest year of movies. Yeah. Although we don't think we have done it twice, but <laughs> right. Yeah. Even though we probably haven't. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a weird. So the best year in the noughties. That's what they said. Not not just the noughties, the, all of the 2000s. I think that included up until current, Frank. That's how well, I read I'll, it. But Well, I must admit when doing my list, there's, a, there's a, quite a few where I've had to have like a couple of films for that kind of ranking. There was lots of films I would have liked to have included. but Yeah, I mean, definitely, yeah. A, definitely a good year, but... I don't know. If, I don't know. I'd have to. I guess I'd have to do a year by year comparison to see which one I felt was the best year. Well, looking at it though, there's lots of them. Lots of the films which you wouldn't necessarily go, "Oh, wow, that's that's got to be in my top ten. But they're all, well, many of them are, are very well made and well acted films. Right. Maybe so that's think, why we feel it's we've done it before though, because it's such a good year for films that we yeah. just we keep talking about these movies because there's so many great ones. So maybe Wikipedia has it right. Yeah, could well be. Who oh, knows? Well, yes. Oh, we'll get to that later when we do our lists. That's right. We will indeed. Well, why don't we jump into our endings, Phil, and let's kick things off with uh, Race to Witch Mountain, shall we? Yeah, let's do the countdown and blast off. It's uh, from 2009 and directed by Andy Fickman. And we we see an alien spacecraft uh, crash in the desert near Las Vegas and a secret government agency called Project Moondust, led by Henry Burke, uh, played by the wonderful Kieran Hines. They arrive on the scene and there's lots of men in black and they move the spaceship and all that, that kind of stuff. Then we're in Las Vegas, we meet former mob getaway driver Jack Bruno, played by Dwayne Johnson, and he's now a cab driver. He ends up picking up two teenagers who are a little bit weird. One is Sarah, played by Anna Sophia Robb, and Seth Alexander Ludwig, and they offer him $15,000 to take him to a, an unknown destination. Uh, he takes them there, and they're chased by the men in black. They end up losing them when the kids use some weird spooky powers that they've got, and they get attacked by an alien assassin called the Siphon. Needless to say, Bruno is a bit perplexed with what's been going on, and the kids explain that they're actually aliens from a dying planet that's 3,000 light years away from Earth. The leaders want to invade Earth, despite most of the population being against the plan. Seth and Sarah's parents were scientists who had worked on a way to save their planet, but were arrested. Uh, but they had an experiment on the go which could, you know, save their planet, and the kids came to Earth to get the results of this, this experiment. Bruno and the kids then get to Dr. Alex Friedman, played by Carla Gugino. Uh, she's an astrophysicist and helps them. They race to Witch Mountain. Oh, wow. That's the title. <laughs> uh, which uh, turns out to be a government base in this film. And the kid's spaceship is being held there. There's lots of action, fights. They end up getting away. Sarah gives Bruno her telepathic powers because they can, because it's alien magic, chiggy pokery, and they fly home. They also give Bruno a tracking device so that they can reunite if they ever return to Earth. Weeks later, Bruno and Alex are promoting their book, Race to Witch Mountain, a true story when the tracking device activates. And that's Race to Witch Mountain. Very nicely done. Thank you very much. What do you think of this movie, Phil? It's It was perfectly, it was very enjoyable, entertaining. It's not one which has really stuck in my mind much, but it was a good, good kids adventure movie. And as I said, Dwayne Johnson's always good to watch. Carla Gugino's a great actress. Uh, some good action scenes, some good good uh, sci-fi. I did like the, uh, the originals as well, although I've not seen them in a long time. Right, right. Yeah, I was a big fan of those when I was a kid, so... I was obviously interested in this. I really like this movie, actually. I think it is one of those 
really good family kind of fun, you know, adventure movies. Not for like the little, little kids, but, you know, like I'm actually getting ready to watch it with my kids who are 11. Yeah, yeah. Because it's that's like that perfect age for it where it's, you know, it's a little more grown up than like an animated film, you know, but it's 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 obviously it's appropriate for all ages. It's a PG film and it's, you know, it's got a lot of action, a lot of humor. You know, it's got The Rock. It's got Carla Gugino, who, as we all know, I'm a little bit in love with. And um, yeah, I, I really I really enjoy it. I think it's a great film. Yeah, lots, lots of fun. Cool. I was thinking, I imagine they were going to probably do sequels anyway, but I just don't think it did enough at the box office, did it? Yeah, unfortunately. You know, it, it certainly made enough money, I think, to, to break even. Uh, you know, it, it was, it, you know, it did perform fairly well at the box office, but worldwide it didn't just take in enough money, I think, to justify what would probably be an expensive sequel. So, which is a shame because I, I really enjoyed it, but what are you going to do? Yeah, and it's, it's probably one of those kind of films as well, which has been slightly forgotten or just not, maybe not locked, uh, forgotten, but just sort of get, gets looked over. No, I think I think you're kind of right. I mean, I think it seems yeah. to have definitely fallen off the pop culture radar. You know, there are movies like The Sandlot, which, you know, 25 years later, you know, people still talk about it all the time and they have memes and T-shirts yeah. and this and that. And then you have movies like this, which just is kind of nowhere, you know. Yeah. But I, I do enjoy it. I think it's good. Yeah. Well, we've run over what happens in the uh, in the film. Do you want to give us what happens in your day after? Sure thing. Well, Jack and Dr. Friedman are excited by seeing the device activate. They had grown quite fond of Sarah and Seth in their short time together and were looking forward to seeing them again. After a few days, however, there's no sign of the two aliens. Disappointed, they realize there's nothing they can do but wait. In the meantime, their work together on the book and the promotional tour has seen them grow closer together as well, so one night, after a long day of appearances and book signings, they decide to head to dinner. Deciding it's too warm out for the leather jacket he's wearing, Jack leaves it in his apartment, forgetting that the alien tracking device is still in the pocket. As they're returning from a delightful dinner together, they arrive back at Jack's apartment and are just in time to see an alien spaceship hovering above the building. Their excitement turns to horror as the ship launches a pulse weapon at the apartment and blows it to smithereens. And that's my day after. Well, that's a lousy way to end the date. <laughs> right? <laughs> yes. Seriously. You know, it's going good. You're heading back to the apartment. You think things might get a little, you know, naughty yeah. if, since this is our naughty episode. And then your apartment gets blown up. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, I must admit, the same thing's happened to me on a few dates. So. Right? I hate when that yeah. happens. Yeah. Damn you, alien spacecraft. Always, they always get the wrong place. They always end up apologizing. But it's, by then, yep, you know, it's yep. ruined the mood. Too, right, right. It kills the vibe. I get you. <laughs> no, very good. Look, looking forward to see what happens with that. Great. Well, let's hear what's going on then in your day after. Okay. Well, Jack and Alex are now a couple. That's by the by. They've just grown together as, as similar with yours. They wrote the book, been doing a uh, press tour and things like that. And they're a couple that are going out. Uh, but they keep checking the device they were given by the kids, especially when it activated at one time. It keeps popping on and off, uh, but they're not quite sure what or when anything will happen. They cancel their next few book signings and head out into the desert just to be on the safe side. They're now sort of living together, but they also have a large RV which is out in the desert, and they use mainly as a lab for Alex's work. It's also a good place to write, play music, relax, and do some, you know, something-something kind of stuff. <laughs> some, na some naughty bits? Yeah, some naughty bits. Uh, they spend a few blissful days there and kind of forget about the the whole alien device they've got. They work a little, check the device when they remember, and Jack practices his telepathy. It doesn't always work, but he's getting better. The device keeps beeping now and again, but Alex's equipment picks up nothing heading towards them or Earth. Not quite sure what to do, but glad of the chance to relax. They eventually head back to the city. As they drive, the sun sets and the lights of Las Vegas twinkle in the distance. Suddenly they are engulfed in a bright light from the sky and the car engine stops. They watch as a spaceship lands in front of them. Jack and Alex leave the car and warily approach. A ramp opens from the ship. They expected to see Sarah and Seth, but instead they see a small grey alien walk towards them. 
Jack is ready to attack, but Alex stops him. The alien approaches, raises his hand in a Vulcan salute, and says, Nanu, Nanu. <laughs> ah, you should see your face. The alien laughs. <laughs> My name's Paul, and Sarah and Seth sent me to pick you up. Come on, let's go. <laughs> That's my day after. Very nice. I like it. So uh, a little nod to the movie of the same name, Paul, I believe, correct? That's correct. Yes. yes ah, very yes. nice. Excellent. Yes. I like it. Okay. Well, uh, thank you very much. What's going on though with your immediate aftermath? All right. Well, the alien ship turns and flies into the atmosphere. Jack and Alex stand there shocked. Unsure of what to do, they get back in their car and sit there in silence for a minute. The quiet is interrupted by a loud knock on the window. Alex jumps, but her shock quickly turns to relief when she sees Seth and Sarah standing outside the car. What just happened? Jack asks as he and Alex get out of the car. We're very sorry, Sarah says. They got here just before we could stop them. We thought you were inside the apartment and were very relieved when we spotted you inside your car. Alex hugs them both, and then the two kids explain that while they did return to their home planet with the solution to their world's woes, a rogue military component staged a coup while they were gone and have taken over. They sent an assassin unit to kill Jack and Alex because they knew the truth, and they wanted to stop them from spreading their story. The military group, who call themselves the Royal Horde, still plan to invade Earth, and there's no way to stop them. Damn. Except we'll probably find a way to stop them in my next section. But, you know, I got to build some dramatic tension. Well, yeah, I'm sure The Rock can stop it. He's, you know. <laughs> yeah, right, right. The Rock always stops everything. Yeah, that's it. Uh, okay, I like it, though. Thank you, thank you. Let's hear then what's going on in your immediate aftermath. Okay. During the flight, Paul explained that his race lived in a planet in a solar system close to Sarah and Seth's. He'd met them during a stopover at an intergalactic diner. Apparently that was a chain of diners in a number of galactic regions. Sarah and Seth had headed home, but despite having proof that they could save their homeworld, their government wanted to continue with the invasion of Earth, claiming that Earth was planning to attack them. They're a bunch of bureaucratic dickheads, said Paul. The alien went on to say that Sarah and Seth wanted to smuggle Jack and Alex onto their homeworld and get them on their news channels to explain that Earth were not planning to attack and were totally incapable of doing such an act. We're here, said Paul. Goodbye and good luck. And that's my immediate aftermath. Oh, very cool. I like that. I like the idea of them having to sort of explain that Earth isn't really coming to attack anybody. Yeah, yeah, because, I mean, we need some kind of space force to do that. <laughs> and that's, I mean, come on now. Yeah. So do you want to finish yours off with your long term? Sure thing. Here we go. Jack looks around the alien military stronghold and wonders how he found himself in this situation. A few months ago, he was just a regular guy with a checkered past. Now he was on a suicide mission to an alien planet, trying to blow up the headquarters of a military horde that was planning to invade the Earth. I've been there. <laughs> While Alex and Jack have tried to convince Seth and Sarah to get the help of the U.S. military, the pair were convinced that only a small stealth mission could succeed. As Jack set the timer on the device that Seth had given him, he had to admit that they'd been right. A full-on military assault would have quickly been defeated by the advanced technology he'd seen as he snuck into the alien stronghold. He finished setting the bomb, then made his way back to Alex and the kids. It's done, he said. Let's get out of here. Minutes later, the bomb goes off, and Jack is fascinated to see that it isn't an explosive device, but rather an energy disintegration device. The entire Royal Horde headquarters was suddenly enveloped in glowing energy, and then it's just gone. Seth and Sarah turned to Alex. Okay, that's the hard part, they said. Now let's get to work on healing our dying planet. With Seth and Sarah's parents' research in tow, the group set off to finish saving the day. And that's the end. Excellent. I like it. Thanks. Thanks. You know, kind of got to have the, the happy ending, but also leave it for the sequel, you know. Yeah, for, oh, for definitely. the third yeah. film yeah. in the trilogy. Yeah. All right, well, let's hear what your, how yours all wraps up then and give us your long term. Okay. Jack, Alex, Sarah, and Seth were back on the run. 
Through the help of the Earthlings, Sarah and Seth had freed their parents and utilised the result of the experiment to save their planet. That and the uh, news broadcast had saved Earth. Yay! However, Sarah and Seth's government and the weapons manufacturing companies had spun the story to say that Bruno, Alex, Sarah and Seth and their parents were terrorists. They were not happy what they had done. Ooh. Therefore, they were now back on the run. They had managed to steal a spacecraft and had blasted off. But where to go? Earth was not an option for them. So they headed deeper into space where, no doubt, more adventures waited for them. And that's my long term. I like it. I see we also, we both left ours open yeah, for Yeah, it's just this kind of thing. It's so it's, It would just be going on and on. Yeah, right, always, right. There'd always be another witch mountain. Exactly, exactly. Very cool. Nicely done. Thank you very much. All right, well, Phil, I believe it is time for us to race to Trivia Mountain. So what have you got? <laughs> okay. Yeah, the main titles feature Morse code in the sound mix. And when you work out what the Morse code says, it's a saying, please turn off your cell phones. Is it really? Yeah, well, apparently. That's apparently, funny. Yeah, I don't know Morse code well enough to uh, double check. <laughs> well, come on, Phil. you got to triple source these things, man. you got to <laughs> fact check this stuff. We're not fake news, all right? No, no. <laughs> well, when I tried it, it's, I'm sure it said, please buy more popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds more likely. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. Uh, Jack's Taxi has the number 1975 which was the year the original Escape to Witch Mountain film was released. Oh, that's fun. Dwayne Johnson and Carla Gugino have starred in three films together. This was one of them. Can you name the other two, Mike? I Well, I know one of them is San Andreas because I love yeah. that movie. From 2015. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and the other one is... It's from 2010. 2010, huh. Um, you know, I'm sure I know it, but I'm drawing a blank at the moment. Yeah, well, it is uh, faster. Oh, yeah, because you know why? I know I didn't remember it because I completely forgot that movie existed. I yeah, know, me too. Because <laughs> it was a few... drama that they tried to market as like an action movie. Yeah, it's got a few scenes I like. I remember liking, but it's just I yeah. don't remember much about it. Even now, I still can't remember that Carla Gugino was in that. Now that you, even though you told me that, I'm like, really? She was in that? So I, I, I remember Billy Bob of... Thornton was in it, but that's about it. Right, right. Yeah. Right. Cool. That's that. And also, uh, Ike Eisenman and Kim Richards, uh, they were the actors who played the kids in the original movie. They're also in this in Race to Witch Mountain, and they t appear together in a scene. Uh, Ike plays Sheriff Anthony in the bar, while Kim is Tina, the waitress. Oh, that's fun. And that's a nice little thing. And that's mm -hmm. Race to Witch Mountain. Very good. All right. Well, then let's move on to one of the funniest movies of 2008, Role Models. Yes, I do. I do like this film. Very funny. I, I absolutely love this film, I have to say. And as you mentioned at the start, it's very, very sweary. Yeah, it's a, it's a very R-rated movie, but uh, yeah. I have to say this is a favorite of my wife and, and mine. We, we both love this movie. We saw it in theaters and... We're just hysterical. I want to say I think we actually saw it twice in theaters, which we never do. Um, <laughs> but I just I think this is one of the funniest movies. It cracks me up. So many great lines, none of which I can quote right now. But yeah, uh, yeah. it's it's just so funny. And and Paul Rudd and Sean William Scott just work so terrifically together. Okay, yeah. So do you want to give us the rundown of what happens in uh, Role Models then, Mike? Sure thing. Role Models from 2008, uh, directed by David Wayne, starring Paul Rudd, Sean William Scott, Elizabeth Banks, Christopher Mintz-Plasse, Jane Lynch, Ken Marino, and Ken Jeong. Uh, Danny, played by Paul Rudd, and Wheeler, played by Sean William Scott, are minotaur energy drink salesmen who promote their drink to kids while telling them not to do drugs. Wheeler loves his job, but Danny hates it. And one day at a school, after he's dumped by his girlfriend, Beth, who's played by Elizabeth Banks, Danny snaps and has a minor freakout. The pair of them are sentenced to mentor two boys in a Big Brother-type program called Sturdy Wings, where they are supervised by Gail, played by Jane Lynch. 
Danny is assigned to Augie, played by Christopher Mintz Plass, who, if you don't know the name, is McLovin from Superbad. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and also, well, we can't say the character he plays in the Kick-Ass films. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> he's, he's also in the Kick-Ass films. Uh, he's a teenager obsessed with live-action role-playing games, or LARPing, while Wheeler gets assigned to Ronnie, a very foul-mouthed young boy. Eventually, after many mishaps, the bigs bond with their littles, and then they screw things up pretty royally. Augie gets booted out of the LARPing group he's in, and Ronnie is mad at Wheeler for blowing him off at a party. Danny gets Augie back in this huge LARPing tournament, and he, Augie, Wheeler, and Ronnie show up dressed as Kiss, where they almost win the tournament, but Augie is defeated at the last moment by a girl who's clearly interested in him named Esplin. Gail is impressed by what she sees and clears Danny and Wheeler with the judge, while Danny and Beth reconcile and get back together. And I should mention that their fake, uh, their their LARPing team group name or kingdom was called Kiss My Anthea because that's just funny and also it may come up in my ending. Yes, yes, yes. That's good. And that's role models. Yeah, you summed it up nicely. You just missed out all the swearing and um, lots of the jokes. But, <laughs> right. Uh, you, right. you covered all the basics and it's uh, very well done. All right. Well, Phil, why don't you kick things off and give us your day after? Okay. Wheeler goes back to work for Minotaur, but Danny decides to take a full-time position with Sturdy Wings. That decision surprises Beth, Wheeler, but most of all Danny. He realises that wearing at Sturdy Wings means he is helping people and he has a point to his work. He has a purpose in his life. Gail is made up and despite trying and failing to score some cocaine to celebrate, <laughs> she allows a small party to celebrate the new addition to Sturdy Wings. Danny and Beth's relationship grows stronger and Beth even joins the live action role play each weekend. Kiss My Anthea grows slowly and steadily. Wheeler always says how lame it is, but each week he has spent more time on his costume and equipment. Mm-hmm. And that's my day after. I like it. Thank you very much. Very good. But what's going on with your day after? Okay, well, road trip. Danny and Wheeler <laughs> are excited. A whole year has gone by since the LARPing tournament, and both Augie and Ronnie have thrived. Augie's made new friends at school and has started dating Lady Esplin, although it's been very chaste. They haven't even kissed yet. <laughs> and Ronnie has started becoming at least slightly better behaved at school and at home. Danny and Wheeler continue to act as Sturdy Wings bigs and hang out with their littles once a week. Now with school out for the summer, Danny, Wheeler, Beth, Augie, and Ronnie are going on a vacation trip together to a new theme park resort in Colorado called Rocktopia. It's a rock and roll themed amusement park with roller coasters, live music, rides, shows, and to top it all off, who is playing the opening night concert but Kiss themselves. That sounds awesome. The whole crew hops into Danny's rented SUV and hits the road. And that's my day after. Oh, I like it. And I can imagine hilarity will ensue. I, I like to think so, yes. I'm, hope, <laughs> I'm hoping if I did my job well, then yes, the cool, hilarity cool. shall ensue. I like it. Thank you. Meanwhile, let's hear what's going on in your immediate aftermath. Okay. Wheeler quits the Minotaur job. He now makes and sells costumes and equipment for live role players and cosplayers. <laughs> I like that. He finds that he has a talent for making costumes and realizing how many attractive women are LARPers and cosplayers, he is in his element. There you go. Beth handles the couple of sexual harassment claims put in against Wheeler until he eventually learns his lesson. <laughs> Danny and Beth get married. The, the ceremony is during a special live action role play weekend put together especially for them. Wheeler is best man. And he also made the wedding dress, which is truly stunning. Ronnie and Augie carry the ring. The ceremony goes off without a hitch, and a huge open-air banquet takes place in the evening to celebrate. That's my immediate aftermath. I like it. I like it a lot. Very funny and also, you know, sweet. Thank you very much. Well, what's going on then with your uh, rock and roll theme park? All right. As Wheeler pulls the car into the Rocktopia parking lot, a huge plume of smoke shoots up from under the hood. 
The car creaks to a halt, and as Wheeler sets the parking brake, all four wheels simultaneously fall off. <laughs> the five occupants of the car sit there in stunned silence. Who would have thought that over the course of 700 miles, so many things could go wrong? <laughs> Danny wasn't even quite sure how they'd ended up in that biker bar to begin with, nor how Beth had ended up in a fight with a 300-pound biker named Thor. There's always a biker bar. <laughs> yeah, of course, right? <laughs> Brilliant. But what he still couldn't wrap his brain around was how Augie had saved the day by knighting all of the bikers and making them honorary kiss my anthians <laughs> 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 Wheeler was in an equal amount of shock that Ronnie had managed to talk those two strippers into quitting their jobs and returning to school, all while the whole gang was being held hostage in a bank during a robbery. But now they've arrived at Rocktopia, and it's time to put the events of the past few days behind them. As Danny, Wheeler, Augie, Ronnie, and Beth walk toward the ticket booth, the SUV explodes. None of them even look back. And that's my immediate aftermath. Oh, that's brilliant. That's exactly what, yeah, that, that would fit so well. Right. I kind of, you know, I wanted to, I really wanted to keep with just the, like the wacky over the topness of the film, yeah. you know, and just how like crazy stuff happens. And I, I, so I was like, I got to go, I got to have some fun with this. So. Oh, I like that. Very good. Thanks. Thank you. <laughs> all right. Well, I want to find out what's going on in yours. So give us your long term and let's see how it all wraps up. Okay. Well, life moves on as it always does. Danny is now Gail's second in command at Steady Wings and he's had a huge impact on many kids over the years. He also has two kids of his own with Beth. Her career has also skyrocketed when she represented a number of clients in a class action against Minotaur energy drink. <laughs> it turned out it was highly addictive. It caused people to get hostile and also caused erectile dysfunction. Uh -huh. Wheeler has made a decent career making costumes and has branched out into normal clothes and fetish gear. <laughs> All of it has been moderately successful. After a number of flings with cosplayers and fashion models, he has settled down with a former Playboy centerfold. Ronnie often visits Wheeler. <laughs> <laughs> I see what you did there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Ronnie has also become a filmmaker and helps and helps out Augie, who has become a successful author and YouTuber. His channel, LARP This, has millions of subscribers, and he is well-respected in the fantasy and role-playing world. They have all become decent role models in their respective jobs. Oh, I like that. And that's my uh, long term. Very good. I like that. I like that a lot. I think that's all good endings for all very true to the characters. I especially like Augie coming a YouTuber. Like that's very, I think that's very real, real world, very modern, you know? Yeah. Because he spent so much time in his head and in his room. Exactly. Way doing it. Reaching out to people without actually having to talk to them. Face yeah. To face. Yeah. Yeah. I dig it. Okay. Then what's going on with your long term now? All right, well, Danny and Wheeler look out into the crowd of people that are cheering for them. <laughs> Danny can't believe that he's jamming on stage with Kiss while tens of thousands <laughs> of fans are going crazy. Oh, brilliant. After the gang had saved them from that group of Transylvanian terrorists that had taken over Rocktopia, apparently Gene Simmons felt like he needed to re repay them. And since Danny knows how to slap at the bass and Wheeler <laughs> is pretty handy with the guitar, they'd invited them on stage. As the group launched into the song Beth, Danny looks out to see Beth, Katie, Augie, and Ronnie going crazy in the front row. Right behind them, the 37 bikers from that bar in Nevada are cheering along at the top of their lungs. <laughs> Next to them, there's a clown, a man in a bear suit, and a nun. Danny has no idea what the hell they're doing there. <laughs> Wheeler runs up to Danny and gives him a huge high five. Dude, Wheeler yells over the crowd noise, this is the best day ever. Danny looks at Beth and the kids and smiles warmly. It really is the best day ever. And that's the end. Oh, that was fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. I can, I can picture that so much. Yeah, there's a few films like that where it just ends up with like people in a crowd cheering, isn't it? Just, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like and, you it. know, I feel like if they made a sequel to Role Models, Kiss would have to show up. And that's the kind of thing I, where I see them like up on stage, you know, with Kiss at like this yeah. place. Yeah. Yeah, so. Oh, no, very good. I really enjoyed that. 
Thank you, thank you. All right, well, Phil, it is time for us to see if there are any trivia models. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's all I got. So okay. Work with me here. Well, no, you, you did work hard on your ending, so I'll, I'll let that one go. Oh, thank you. I appreciate <laughs> it. <laughs> okay, yeah, the diner that Paul Wood visits is the same diner used in Pulp Fiction and quite a few of the films. Right, right. So I almost, when I read that, I almost wanted to try and tie it into Pulp Fiction, but I thought, no. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and you could do it, but it wouldn't really fit the tone of the film. No, no. But it, could you just imagine how, you know, in Pulp Fiction, you've got Paul Rudd and Sean William Scott in the background going, oh, oh, right. Right. everybody freeze. They're going, right. oh, dear. Oh, what's <laughs> But, uh, oh, yeah, uh, Paul McCartney impersonated Joey Curatolo, provided the vocal for Love Take Me Down to the Streets, which is uh, mentioned throughout the film and played at the end. Hmm. Uh, many lines in the film were improvised, and apparently Paul Rudd peed his pants at one point because he was laughing so hard <laughs> at an improvised line. Cool. Uh, I hope that's true. Yeah, right, right, exactly. Yeah, but uh, but that's, uh, that's role models. Very good. I like it. All right, so those are our endings for role models and race to which mountain. And now it is time to move on to our 100 years of Hollywood in 100 episodes, wherein we take a year from Hollywood history and share our top 10 favorite films. This week we are talking about 2007, as we mentioned at the top of the show. Uh, Phil? Why don't you tell us what the world was like just about a decade ago? Okay, 2007, the British Prime Minister was Tony Blair, and who handed off to Gordon Brown. And the US President was George W. Bush. Uh, there was a great big financial crisis in the offing, all because of the subprime mortgage. And go watch The Big Short if you want a decent explanation for it. Very good yep, film. Very good. Does it very well. There were also lots of mass shootings, bombs, assassinations. It's pretty much like any other year, which you will have come to understand Listen to these little roundups every year seems to be exactly the damn same. <laughs> right. But anyway, some of the, there's not much else that went on, but we did have uh, Nancy Pelosi became the first female Speaker of the House in the US history in Congress. Mm-hmm. Steve Jobs introduced something called the iPhone. Picasso's portrait of Suzanne Block and Candido Portinari's O Lavrador de Café is stolen from the Sao Paulo Muse- Museum of Art. And the Phoenix spacecraft was launched towards Mars and there were a few other spacecrafts launched. And that was pretty much it. But we also had the deaths, sadly, of Yvonne DiCarlo, Bam Bam Bigelow, Anna Nicole Smith, Ian Richardson, Gareth Hunt, Boris Yeltsin, Barry Nelson, Mike Reed, Ingmar Bergman, Luciano Pavarotti, Deborah Kerr, and Evil Knievel. There you go. 2007. Do you want to give us uh, that? Well, do you want to get kick things off then for the favorite films? What's your number 10? Well, my number 10, Phil, is The Simpsons Movie, <sighs> which is... Spider Pig. Uh, right, exactly. And that's part of why. I mean, it's it was the long-awaited Simpsons film. It was absolutely hysterical. The only reason it's not higher on my list, to be honest with you, is I think the first half of that film is absolutely just sheer comedic brilliance. I mean, every joke hits yeah, and yeah. every joke is hysterical. It's got the spider pig and everything like that. The second half of the movie, it loses its way a little bit and it it just doesn't get the jokes as, as, as strongly as it does in the first half. That's the only reason it's not higher, but I do still love this movie. So Simpsons movie is my number 10. Yeah, it's, uh, didn't quite, it didn't quite make my list, but the same reason as well. The, the first half, well, the first half hours you say is really really good but then like you always sort of it just goes you just go on all right still laughing in places but just doesn't quite carry it as well yeah yeah it's a shame for me but still a good film overall uh, yeah but it was it was good they finally made one to be honest oh yeah for sure yeah okay my number 10 is a, it's a double whammy uh and these two films i've watched many times with my daughter okay uh so lots of good memories with them uh, but the first one is evan almighty which is the sequel to bruce almighty and it's the one with uh steve carell ends up becoming uh noah it's not one of the best films, but there's lots of it just makes me laugh. Steve sure. Carell's great. I've laughed with it many times, watched it with my daughter and with my mum and dad. It's like good family 
something to watch together. Right. And the other one for number 10 is Hairspray, uh, based on John Waters' 1988 comedy film. Uh, this is the one with uh, John Travolta, Michelle Pfeiffer, and Christopher Walken. Uh, just, I'm not a huge fan of musicals, but this one just, I like the original. This one just is a lot more polished because John Waters does like, you know, that, that gritty, grimy comedy. But this one has done really well. The songs are funny and extremely well done. Uh, the film's very funny. Uh, great moments, great characters. And my daughter plays the CD an awful lot when we're driving down to the caravan in Wales. Right. And the songs are just stuck in my head. There you go. So they're, they're my number 10. Interestingly, I have never seen either of those, actually, believe it or not. Oh, haven't you? Okay. Yeah, I've always meant to get around to Evan Almighty, and I just haven't. And then uh, Hairspray, I just, I don't know. I can't say I was that interested in seeing it. I kind of want to see it just because Hairspray is so famous, and they've got the Broadway play and everything. I've just never gotten around to it. So, yeah, yeah. Someday. Well, it's good as well because it does... Beneath all the humor and everything, it does deal with, uh, you know, real issues. Right. And does it in quite very, in a good way. Right, right, right. Yeah. All right. Well, my number nine is a sequel to a sequel to a sequel. It is Live Free or Die Hard, uh, which oh, I believe in, in the uh, UK was known as Die Hard 4.0. Is that correct? Yes, it was. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. Well, I guess because Live Free or Die Hard is a very American expression. But regardless. Yeah, also, I think it was 4.0 because it's all, that's the one with the computer hackers and things. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I, I think Live Free or Die Hard is a really underrated uh, Die Hard movie, actually, to be honest with you. I really like it. I think it's um, it, it does obviously get the diehard formula and throw it out the window. It's, you know, it's a pretty widespread film, but I think it's got some really great action sequences in it. I like Bruce Willis paired with Justin Long. Yeah, that worked well. Yeah, I just think it's a fun film, and I think people kind of write it off as just another endless sequel, but I actually think it's one of the better ones. Yeah, no, it took me a while to see it because it heard bad things. I enjoyed it, but obviously not as much as the other ones. Right. Didn't make my list, but I think the main problem with it is because it was when John McClane was just becoming too indestructible really he was just yeah you definitely have to swallow a big heaping helping of the suspension of disbelief yeah but, yeah you know yeah. i still enjoy it yeah no good a good pick though it does say didn't make my list but uh, there we go my number nine is one film composed of two films and lots of uh fake trailers it's a uh, <laughs> grindhouse yeah which is a double feature with a uh, directed by robert rodriguez and quentin tarantino which was planet terror and death proof uh, which i i like both of the films i know lots of people don't like Death Proof, but I, I really enjoyed it. I, thought it was, I saw the films individually before I saw the whole of Grindhouse together, and it does work better as the whole Grindhouse thing when you have the trailers in between, uh, which are great. But both films are lots of fun, silly, over-the-top, bizarre, sick, twisted, which is you know what Grindhouse should be. Right. Uh, with a great cast in both films, and then you've got the, the trailers as well, directed by Eli Roth, Jason Eisner, Edgar Wright, Rob Zombie, and things like that, but just lots of fun. Didn't do as, probably as well as they were hoping, but uh, it's my number nine. Yeah, it's interesting you say that most people didn't like Death Proof because I I think Death Proof is by far the superior film out of the two of those. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I think it's so as well, but I think it's when people are looking at everything Tarantino's done, it often gets pushed to the background for some reason. But I, I yeah, really like it. I mean, I I don't love it. Neither of them made my list, nor the Grindhouse double feature make my list. I think the trailers mm-hmm. are the best part of that. I like Death Proof, but it takes too long to get interesting. Yeah, yeah. I can yeah. see why I made your list. I mean, it's not terrible. It's just not one of my favorites. Yeah. Anyway, my number eight is a movie by Danny Boyle called Sunshine, starring Chris Evans, Killian Murphy, and Rose Byrne. It is a science fiction action-adventure film about a crew on a ship that is going to reignite the sun because it is going out and Earth is suffering for it. And it is a really cool film. Very little scene. Um, you know, didn't do anything at the box office and it's kind of one of those 
you know, sort of cult classics, but it's a really yeah, yeah. intense film. And Danny Boyle, who directed, of course, you know, uh, Train Spotting and Slumdog Millionaire and a bunch of other great movies, uh, Shallow Grave, stuff like that. He he's an awesome director, and he brings this this visceral intensity to this film that I just really love. Um, it's a terrific film. It hasn't been seen by enough people. I highly recommend it. It is called Sunshine. Yeah, I enjoyed this one, but didn't make my list. But I think my problem with it is the way it's because I really enjoy the, the the start, you know, and they've done the ship and it's all the psychological toll of them, you know, on this mission to save Earth. And then it just, it sort of flips. It does like almost like a from Dust Till Dawn where it changes to becoming a, like a slasher film mm, almost. Yeah. yeah, I get And you. I don't know, it's, I, I don't think that part worked quite as well as for me as it, as it probably should have. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad I made your list though because it is, as you say, it's a, not enough people have seen it. But right, it's a, right. It's a good film, but it just sadly didn't quite make it for me. Fair enough. Okay, but my number eight it's two more films again. I'm sorry. It won't be like this all the way That's through. That's okay. But... I, got a, I got a couple ties on mine, but they're coming up still. Yeah. So. But as, uh, it's, uh, the first one is Mr. Brooks, Kevin Costner, Demi Moore, Dane Cook, and William Hurt. It's quite a dark film. Kevin Costner plays a serial killer um, where some, a guy, Dane Cook, wants him to teach him how to do it. And we find out that he's got an alter ego played by William Hurt. And it's quite nice seeing Kevin Costner playing in like an evil role. And I just thought the whole serial killer thing was a good way of doing a serial killer thing. Done really well. It was. Uh, I didn't know much about it when I saw the film, so I was pleasantly surprised by it. That's uh, my first part of number eight. And the second part is Eastern Promises, uh, which is the gangster film directed by David Cronenberg and starring Viggo Mortensen and Naomi Watts, uh, where Viggo is playing uh, a Russian mobster involved with Naomi Watts' character, and it's dark. Uh, it doesn't have as much body horror as... Uh, any other Cronenberg film? Yeah. yeah, any other. Yeah, so it's it's pretty down to earth comp- compared to other David Cronenberg films. But Viggo Mortensen is brilliant in it. And when, because again, I just knew the basics of it. And when you get watch the whole film through, you get near the end and you go, "Oh my god!" It's one of those. There's one of those moments in it. You go, "Oh," and it sort of makes you reassess what's gone before. But I really enjoyed it. And Viggo Mortensen was amazing in it. Yeah, indeed. Well, those are two films that I really, really like. Both of them actually. Neither of them made my list. They both got edged out, but they were on my short list because there was a lot of good movies this year, as we mentioned. Yeah, def- um, they definitely were. Yeah, yeah but I, I like them both very much. Mr. Brooks is great, and uh, and Eastern Promises was really close to making my list because I do like it a lot. So good yeah. picks. All right, well, my number seven is a movie I expect we might hear from again, so I'll keep it short, but it is Hot Fuzz, uh, which we went after the ending of way back in episode, help me out, Phil. Episode 20. Episode 20. It stars Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. It was their follow-up film to Shaun of the Dead, and it's uh, basically their take on on cop action movies. Uh, And I really like it. We talked about it. Back in episode 20, I was disappointed with it my first time through, but I, having rewatched it recently, I, I, it's a much better film than I give it credit for, and I do really enjoy it. I don't know why it didn't come in higher on my list, to be honest, because I do like it quite yeah. a bit, but uh, this is where it landed, so that's my number seven. Yup. <laughs> it it, it's one of those films which it's, I've enjoyed it more every time I've seen it. Right, right. Glad it made your list. Uh, my number seven is a film, another Steve Carell film. This one's Dan in Real Life, mm. uh, which Steve Carell, Julia Binoche, Diane Weist. Steve Carell plays a depressed guy and he goes meets up with his family at a cabin they've got for a family gathering. And then he uh, he meets this woman, Julia Binoche, in a bookshop and they have a moment. Steve, one of those ones that you mainly get in films and you always sort of wish in real life would happen. And right. it probably does. But you know where they, they have this moment, these two people meet, fall in love and think they're never going to see each other again. And then it turns out that uh, Juliet Binoche is going out with Dan's brother, and it's it's uh, more it's like a dramatic, but there's lots of humour. But it's the kind of humour which just comes from families being together 
and knowing each other and the way they tick and things like that. But I, I'd, for some reason, I didn't want to see this for a long time. Then I eventually just, I think it came on TV and I sat and watched it and it just, uh, I thoroughly enjoyed every minute of it. I really love this film and somehow it didn't make my list, although now you're making me reconsider that. I think it would have been like my number 11 because I really like it. I also think yeah, yeah. there's some recency bias at work here because I, I can tell that my top films are all ones I've seen multiple times and Dan in real life, uh, I've only seen the once. So I think if I'd seen it yeah. more recently, it might have made my list because I do really enjoy it. It's an excellent film. All right. Well, my number six is my first tie, and it is a combination of two comedies that really make me laugh. Uh, one is Blades of Glory, starring Will Ferrell and John Heater, and the other one is Hot Rod, starring Andy Samberg. Oh, nice. It almost made my list. I'm glad it made God, Yeah, I love these movies. I mean, Blades of Glory is a great parody of, like, figure skating, and the two of them together are, are just so funny, and there's some great lines, and, and uh, Jenna Fisher is in it, and it's just... I really love that movie. And Hot Rod is one of those films with Andy Samberg, and he plays like this, you know, like bicycle hot rodding dude. Evil Knievel? Yeah, kind of like an Evil Knievel type of thing, <laughs> um, but not nearly as successful or talented. But it's one of yeah. those movies I had really no desire to watch. I thought it looked kind of stupid, but I like Andy Samberg. Same hair, same hair, yeah. And I was like, yeah, I got it to review back in the day. So I was like, I'll watch it. And I just absolutely loved it. There are so many – it's one of those ones like a – like a Night at the Roxbury type of film where you just don't expect it to be anything but stupid, but there's some really clever humor in it. And then there's also some stupid humor in it, but it's funny stupid humor, so you don't mind. Yeah, and lots of, again, it's one of those films with loads of fa uh, familiar faces when you watch it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, a ton of familiar faces. Yeah, I, I just really find both these movies extremely funny. So that's my tie for number six. Well, neither of them made my list, but I do like them, but they kept getting pushed back. But I'm glad uh, they got into your list, so they got mentioned. Okay, my number six is uh, The King of Kong, A Fistful of Quarters, which is a feature documentary all about uh, Billy Mitchell and Steve Wiebe's, uh, uh, I wouldn't say feud, just attempts to become uh, holder of the high score record for the 1981 arcade game Donkey Kong. And it goes back and forth. And, you know, that sounds a bit, if you haven't seen it, you'd be going, well, why is that? Why is this any good? But watching it, my God, the drama, the intrigue, the characters, it's amazing. I, I just love this film. It was just you got Billy Mitchell, who becomes this, he's a real person, but he becomes a proper villain. Right. Proper cinematic villain. And you're just going, oh my God. And, and Steve Wiebe's the underdog. And it's going back and forth. People people videoing these these uh, attempts on an arcade machine. And then there's something wrong with the video. And you're going, well, has that been doctored? What's going on? Uh, lots of characters who are all real people. And yeah, it's, it's really, really good. And I really enjoyed it. You know, this is one of those films I've been meaning to see for, for years and years. Everyone talks about how good it is, and I've always yeah. meant to see it. I just haven't gotten around to it. So Yeah, it's 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 just, I, I was like, I was going, well, this can't be as good as people are saying. And then I was going, oh, my God. <laughs> right. You, you get through. Right. But it's a uh, good, good film. All right. Well, my number five is my second and last tie. Uh, and I'm going to say next to nothing about these films. The reason for that is it is because they are, the two films are 300 and 30 Days of Night, both comic book-inspired films, both of which we I went uh, into detail on just about two or three episodes ago in our mini-episode yeah. of the top five comic book movies. Is this your number Is this your number five? Yeah, why? Because my number five is 30 Days of Night and 300. Is it really? Yeah, both of them. <laughs> I can't believe that's your number five also is those two movies tied. Yeah, well, I was, I was doing the list. I like them both. They're both comic book movies. They both got three and a zero in it. Right. I mean, they definitely fit together well. I just think it's funny. <laughs> yeah, but it's just, we both weird, that. put them as a tie. And we both put them at number five. On the like, same place as yeah, well. A little psychic moment there. Yes, definitely. But both good films. If you haven't seen them, I recommend checking them out. Indeed. 
All right. Yes. Well, we've covered those in depth plenty lately. So moving on. Yes. My number four is Gone Baby Gone, which is Ben Affleck's directorial debut starring Casey Affleck and Michelle Monaghan. And this is a really, really terrific film that I didn't know what to expect when I first watched it. I was curious about it mostly because it was Ben Affleck's directorial debut back when it came out. And it turns out it's this really dark kind of mystery slash drama slash suspense film. Um, And it's just really incredible. It's moving and it's suspenseful and it keeps you guessing right up until the end. And there's just a power to it that I really like. And that was when I saw this film, I was like, whoa, Ben Affleck. You know, this is the point where his his acting career wasn't doing so hot. Yeah. But I was I meant I was thinking, wow, this guy's got a real real future as a director because this film is is excellent. I think it looks great. It's well acted. It's well paced, uh, and I just I really love it. So that's my number four, Gone Baby Gone. Well, this is one of those films where I haven't seen it. Oh, uh, you got to check it's, it out. Yeah, it's I keep really I keep meaning to it. I keep seeing it like on like streaming queue and other things as well, and it's all good reviews. And I, I like I've like other things that Ben Affleck's uh, directed. And I've read up and I've heard good things about it all the time, but I've just not got around to seeing it's, it. It's actually still my favorite yeah. of the films he's directed so far. So, and yeah. that's some pretty stiff competition. Yeah, I, def- I definitely need to see it. Yeah. But I'm glad it made yours. And uh, my number four is The Mist. Very good. Frank Darabont directed it, and it's an adaptation of the short story by Stephen King, starring Thomas Jane, uh, lots of other people, and some Mist. But uh, like 30 Days of Night and 300, we've spoken about this a few times before, so I won't go, go into it too much now. But I just, I just really like the whole vibe of it. Always a big fan of Thomas Jane, and it's got that ending. It's got some cool monster designs, and it's uh, it's my number four. Good pick, good pick. All right, well, my number three is a, maybe I don't know if controversial is the right pick, but I know there are people who don't like this movie. But it is There Will Be Blood, directed by Paul Thomas Anderson, the last movie he made that I liked, uh, and also <laughs> starring Daniel Day Lewis in one of my all-time favorite film performances ever. Now, that sounds easy to say. I'm not a giant Daniel Day-Lewis fan, though. I don't go out of my way to see movies that he's in. And, and yeah, I mean, he's yeah. one of those guys that I completely respect as a talented actor, but I don't really like him all that much. You know, he's not someone that will make me want to see a film. Yeah, I know what you mean. know exactly what you mean. The opening monologue from this movie is one of my favorite scenes in any film ever, where he's talking to people about how he became an oil man. And it's just a literally a close-up on his face that slowly pulls out over the course of like a couple of minutes. And he gives this monologue that is so gripping and so engaging and so exciting, even though nothing's happening. I've never seen anything like it. I mean, I, I really think that his performance in this movie is one for the ages. And, and I like the movie also. I, I think the last 10 minutes, the sort of coda on the film you can do without. Yeah. Um, it really yeah. doesn't add anything to it. And I, I get that people think it's slow and boring, but I, for some reason, don't find it that way. And I'm the kind of guy who usually finds movies to be slow and boring. Um, but I just find this movie riveting. So that's my number three. Yeah, it didn't make my list. I've only seen it the once, and I enjoyed it, but I need to see it again. Yeah. But uh, I, I knew that one would be on your list. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, my number three is uh, Juno, uh, directed by Jason Reitman, and written by Diablo Cody, and stars Alan Page, who's a teenager who gets pregnant unexpectedly. Well, not unexpectedly, but it's unplanned. Uh, and it also stars Michael Sarah and J.K. Simmons and Alison Janney, who are brilliant. Lots of other people as well. Uh, I just I just really liked this. I always liked Ellen Page. I just thought she was really good in this role. I thought it handled the whole thing really well, quite realistically as well, uh, apart from some obvious comedy elements. But uh, it was funny, touching, and I wasn't expecting to like it, but I... I I really fell for the film. I really enjoyed it. See, now I had the opposite reaction. I was expecting to like it, and I, yeah. I just, 
I don't hate the movie. It's not like it's a bad film. It's okay. I just never, I know it was a big hit and everyone was talking about it and it was well loved and uh, I, I just never got into it. I, I think it's okay at best and I don't know. Just don't love it. Yeah, I, f- I find Jason Whiteman films can be hit or miss for me. Right, right. Don't always, but this this is one of the ones which hit. Uh, fair enough. Yeah. All right. Uh, my number two has already appeared on your list, and it is The Mist, uh, directed by Frank Darabont. And like you said, I mean, it's just it's an amazing film. I just really love everything about it. Um, I think it does have that great vibe, like you said, great monster design. It's just it's an amazing thriller that also has some deeper messages in it. Um, and it took yeah. me a long, long time to come around to that ending. Yeah. yeah. Uh, honestly, when I first saw the film, I loved it up until the last 10 minutes, and then I hated that ending. Yeah. And I, I still would say it's not my favorite ending ever, but I've come to uh, understand it and, and at least appreciate it, if not love it. So uh, if you haven't seen the movie, I highly recommend it, but do be prepared for a gut punch of an yeah. ending. Uh, and if you have seen it, but you know some people who haven't seen it, I highly recommend sitting and watching the film with them and then when it's that the, the last scenes coming up, when you know what happens, just watch them. Because uh, when I didn't, you, you just see them sort of going, no, nah, they're not going to do. It's not. They're not. He's not going to do that. Right. It's just funny watching it. Well, and then just seeing their faces drop. Yeah. Yeah. Good times. Uh, I recommend it. If, if you want, if you want a bit of fun, that's that's how you do it. Right. There you go. <laughs> but I'm glad it made your list as well. I had a feeling. It yeah. Yeah. I love it. Okay. My number two has been on your list, but it's Hot Fuzz, Edgar Wright's film. Yes. Yeah, a couple of cops uh, trying to investigate murders. It's a mix of American action movies and British TV police dramas, and it sort of mashes them together really well. Also, it's kind of like a video game as the levels up, you level up until you face the big boss at the end and the shootouts. But yeah, lots of lots of humor, extremely well done, great editing, great cast. Yeah, my number two. Very good. I knew it would be on your list. I knew it would be higher than on mine, but it is it is a good film. Yeah. Okay, then what's uh, Bring It Home with yours? What's your number All one? All right, well, this might be one of the least seen films on this list in terms of box office and, and success, but it is Stardust, based on the Neil Gaiman graphic novel, starring Robert De Niro and Michelle Pfeiffer and a bunch of other people. And Daredevil. And Daredevil, Charlie that's Cox. right, Charlie Cox. and uh, Henry Cavill. Henry, oh, Henry Cavill's in it, that's right. Um, yeah, great cast, and this is one of those movies that I absolutely adore. I love it to pieces. I was a big fan of the um, the prose book that Neil, Ga- Neil Gaiman wrote. I thought it was amazing. Uh, sort of an illustrated novel, if you will. It's not a graphic novel per yeah, se. Yeah. But, um, it is, it's, it's a lovely book. Yes, and, and the movie changes a bunch of stuff and shortens a bunch of things because it has to, and it's still every bit as magical to me as, as the book is. It's, it's a wonderful, wonderful film. It's full of action and humor and fantasy and romance, and it's one of those movies that I made my wife sit down and watch because I loved it so much, and she was like, why am I watching this? I don't. You know, she doesn't usually watch a lot of fantasy stuff, and I was like, just trust me, you're going to love it, and she fell in love with it too. Uh, it's a magical movie that I can never say enough good things about, and so if you listen to this entire episode and you take away only one thing from it, go watch Stardust if you haven't seen it because it's it's fantastic. And that's my number one. It is a fantastic film. It didn't quite make my list. I know. I know I like it more than you do. And that's yeah, okay. It just kept getting pushed down. But no, I do I do like it. It's it's a wonderful fairy tale. It's done very well. And it's an amazing cast. And Robert De Niro's character in it is oh, just amazing. brilliant. One of the few times De Niro does something that's not just De Niro. Yeah. Yeah. He is. He's, he's out of his out of his comfort zone, probably in lots of ways. Yeah. Well, maybe not. I don't know what goes on in his private life. <laughs> right. <laughs> 
But, but no, I'm glad it made your list because yeah, it is, it's a it's a lovely fantasy love story. Yes. Okay, my number one is a, it's a film directed by Sean Penn. Mm. It's a, in, Into the Wild mm. and stars uh, Emil Hirsch. It's all it's based on a guy called Christopher McCandless, who basically threw everything, threw away his job, and headed off into the wilderness, travelled around America, and ended up in in Alaska. And it's basically about his travels. Uh, the people he met, and it's just it's just that it's just it's a man who sort of how much did he did he ever break down or whatever, but he just he meets these people, and it's got an amazing cast, and it's uh, pretty much everyone in it is just does amazing. Vince Vaughn's in it; he does this amazing dramatic thing. They're only in it for like little bits, you know. It's like it's just as the journey goes on, he meets them. It's got Hal Holbrook, Christian Stewart, Zach Galifianakis, Catherine Keener, Jenna Malone, loads of other people. And I, I just really liked it. It's got a great soundtrack by Eddie Vedder from Pearl Jam. And I just love the whole vibe of it, about this traveling through, seeing the wilderness, this guy just getting away from it all, and you follow it through. And part of you wants to do what he did, and then part of you also goes, oh, my God, he should have planned that an awful lot better. <laughs> but, uh, no, I just it, re- it really touched me, and because uh, I do like traveling. Yeah, and Emil Hirsch, I thought, was amazing in it. Right. And just this, Sean Penn did a great job directing it. That's my number one, Into the Wild. All right, good choice. I've come to the conclusion that I'm never going to see this movie. <laughs> I, I've owned it on DVD. I've owned it on Blu-ray. I've had it on my Netflix queue or Prime or whichever free service it's on. There is no barrier in the world to me watching this movie. And every time I see it, I go, I'm just not in the mood for this right now. <laughs> and I, I, I've heard it's a good film. Obviously, you really like it. It's I've, I yeah. wanted to see it when it came out, and there have been times I've wanted to see it, and for whatever reason, I can never get myself to pull the trigger and just hit play on it. I don't know why. I, I don't know what it is. I must have a mental block. It's funny when you get certain films like that. Yeah, so maybe, maybe I'll see it, but I'm just going to go ahead and say probably not. <laughs> if history is any indicator, yeah, if it's yeah, you get those films where they become just like almost like your Everest, right, right, exactly. And you just you just you just go and they they sit there mocking you. Yeah, that's exactly it. No, when when you eventually do see it, I hope you enjoy it. Yeah, yeah, I'm hoping maybe maybe now I'll be spurred to since it was your number one. I wasn't expecting that to be your number one, so yeah. maybe now I'll get around to it. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's a beautiful film. All right, well maybe I'll check it out. That's as much as I'm going to commit. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that is 2007. As we said, a good year for movies, maybe even the best year for movies, at least in the 2000s. Who knows? But that is going to start to wrap up our episode for now. Before we go, though, Phil, why don't you tell people what we're going to be talking about next week? Okay. so next time we're going to be doing next time we're going to be going after the endings of Deep Rising, a lovely, cool monster movie starring the, the brilliant Treat Williams. And also Roxanne, uh, the Steve Martin version of Serrano de Bejuac. Yes. And Mike, do you want to, we're going to be doing something a bit different for the top 10 films. Do you want to uh, let the listeners know what's going on? Yeah, well, next week is uh, is a big kind of week for us. It's, it's our 92nd episode, but it is starting our countdown to episode 100. Uh, we've got some big things planned for episode 100. And so what happens is this, we've got to kind of kill off our last few years of the the last hundred years, because we started doing this in episode nine, it doesn't work out as easily as just doing, you know, one year per episode for a hundred episodes. So next week, what we're going to do is we're going to kill off all of the 1940s movies that we haven't done yet. So that's 1942, 43, 44, 46, 47, and 49. The week after that, we're going to do our 1950s movies that are left. And that's actually going to wrap us up. That'll give us all of the last 100 years of Hollywood. Then, in episodes 94 through 99, we're going to do movies we missed. 
Uh, we're going to break down six decades worth of films that either we hadn't seen when we did our top 10 lists or that didn't make our top yep. 10 lists or who knows, just somehow a movie that we didn't talk about when we did them originally. And that's all going to lead up to episode 100, which I'm not going to reveal just yet what we're doing for that, but it's going to be big and it's going to be fun. So uh, this next episode and the one after that will be the last of our 100 years of Hollywood proper. But we're going to be doing six years in next week's episode, so that'll be fun. Uh, it's the 40s, but there's going to be definitely be some great movies that you've heard of and probably a few that you haven't as well. Yes, so it's going to be lots of work for us, but it's going to be well worth it. And it's probably going to bring up lots of good memories of cool movies, which we'd forgotten about. Exactly, exactly. Which is always nice. There you go. So that's a little sneak preview of what's coming up over the next seven episodes. Uh, hopefully you'll join us for each and every one of them. We would love to have you back. Meanwhile, that's going to do us for now. As always, I'm Mike Spring. And I'm Phil Edwards. And we'll see you next week. After the ending. All right, well, for now, why don't we jump into our endings and let's kick things off with Race to Witch Mountain, shall we? Yes, let's get in the car and... Uh... Oh, God. I'm not snappy tonight. <laughs> That's all right. I'm going to do my, I'll I'll lead you into it again because I didn't like the way I said it. So here we go. Um, Now I forgot what I said, though. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, all right. I like it. I like that twist about how they have to go and explain like the, you know, that it was sort of like a thing to make, make people, make them fall for that Earth was going to attack. Yeah, because I mean. That was a terrible, terrible, terrible sentence. Let me do that again. (laughs) Sorry. Just that was like (laughs) incoherent babbling, basically. (laughs) Which, I mean, admittedly is my stock and trade, but I try, try not to put it on display too often. Danny gets Augie back in this huge LARPing tournament, and he, Augie, Wheeler, and Ronnie show up dressed as kissed. No, not kissed. Kiss. Uh, yeah. Danny. God. The hell is wrong with us tonight? I know. Thank you very much. All right. Well, Phil, why don't you go ahead and kick us off and start things off? Nope. No, that was just stupid. <laughs> Very in-depth discussion last night with my mother about Evil Knievel, actually. So it's ironic that now he comes up as this is the year he died. Yeah, that was one leap. He couldn't have. There's loads of leaps he couldn't make, so that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Ouch. Jeez. He made a lot, too, though, you know. Oh, he did make an awful lot, but there were so many. I remember just getting excited for going, he's going to jump the canyon. And you could tell, you knew full well looking at it, but you, being a kid, you're going, he's going to do it. He's going to do it. And he didn't do it. God oh, bless man. you for trying. The, the, dis- the disappointment evident when you said that was like, oh, somebody was seriously emotionally wounded by evil Knievel in their youth. <laughs> he said he could do anything and he never did. <laughs>